AMC Fireside Chats, a weekly show featuring conversations with thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and outdoor hospitality experts who share their insights to help your business succeed. Hosted by Brian Searle, the founder and CEO of Insider Perks, empowered by insights from Modern Campground, the most innovative news source in the industry. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of MC Fireside Chats. My name is Brian Searle with Insider Perks. Super excited to be here with you for our first episode of the week, bringing together a bunch of industry leaders here to talk about all kinds of different things. I'm here, too. And Mike Harrison from CRR Hospitality, Scott Baer from Karn, Karen Consulting Group. I almost said Karn. Why did I do that, Scott? It's terrible. I know what that is. Anyway, I caught myself fast enough. Uh, Marquette from Campground Views, who is playing his crash in the middle of nowhere, and Sandy Ellickson, who... We don't know what just happened to Sandy. She just disappeared. Maybe I really her doorbell just rang. I think like I almost offend somebody every week of the episode. They drop off and then they reconnect, and it's all it was Mike one week, and I don't know. Scott's the only one that's gotten offended yet. It's your turn next month, Scott. I'm sure it's there. It's just waiting. It must be there. Yeah, for sure. I'm trying really hard over here. And then Sandy Ellingson from wherever Sandy Ellingson's from. You really need a company name. It would Uh, really. Well, I'll have one, and we can announce it on the next show. Thank you. The only purpose that it exists, it needs to exist, is so I can intro you and not stumble over the fact that I don't know where to say you're from. (laughs) I do have a company that's just my, it's just my name, but I'm being forced to expand. So I'm going to have a real name instead of just my name name. That's where she went off screen to talk to her hostage holders there. (laughs) (laughs) No, the phone was ringing and I was really embarrassed. I had to get up to go over there and then mute it. Awesome, guys. All right, let's dive into some conversations here. I think we want to start with the fact that Mark and Mike were both at the recent Carolinas convention, conference, expo show that I've heard was amazing. And obviously, we knew it would be because he and the whole board is running the show there, which have always done an amazing job. But tell us about what your experiences were there, guys. Yep. Mike, you want to lead or you want me to lead? Sure. No, I think obviously, Dee is so plugged in and passionate about not just the industry, but obviously her association. And I think the local community in the Carolinas is very passionate, takes pride in their campground and RV parks and outdoor hospitality in general. Mark also led a session and there's odds on Vegas if his predictions come true or not this time. What was his predictions? We got to figure that out in a second, but continue. I'm sure Mark will get to that. But it was the largest vendor show, largest participation they ever had. They had a block of 100 and something rooms. They went up to 270 rooms on their block. So it was just a great gathering and community of vendors and uh, campground owners and managers. Yeah, I'll echo what Mike said. It was a really good turnout. And for me, it was a unique experience just on a personal level because the last time I was at the show was exactly four years ago, which was three weeks before all the COVID stuff. And, And at that event, 
four years ago, I was literally given the same topic, what's going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months. The odds Mike is talking about is that I strongly suggest, if you think history repeats itself, that you short the entire stock market on March 12th, 2024, and see if you don't hit the lottery with a massive crash or whatever reason is going to happen. But overall, the attendance is great. The park owners here, they've got a real community and they're really engaged. Not saying that the other states don't, but this but Carolina's really got something special going on here. They've got a wide mix from, I'm currently at Myrtle Beach Travel Park, which is one of the mega parks. You've got Ocean Lakes and Lakewood and a bunch of these other mega parks here, but you've also got a lot of, being North Carolina, South Carolina, you've got a lot of new developers building parks in this region. So there's just a lot of activity here, which brings the excitement, the interest and great conversation. So it was a really fun event. Awesome, glad to hear it. So what did you talk about, Mark? Literally, my topic was what's going to happen over the next 12 to 24 months. And I prefaced it with that background that four years ago, I had the same topic and I discussed how the industry trends were amazing. Our industry was going to continue to grow. And then obviously three weeks later, all the COVID stuff happened. But, but you then, were right. Like it did. Well, and that's the point is then we accelerated. And what happened during COVID is we basically, in my belief is we basically cannibalized about 10 years of growth into a short two-year period. Now our industry is going to continue to tread along, but the biggest change is more macro factors, interest rates, inflation, stuff like that's going to affect travel trends. And I'll be real, this is an election year. And after the last, after the previous election year, what we're seeing trend-wise, and I'd l I can't wait for the North American camping report on this one. But what we're hearing from campers out there is that they're going to camp, but they're just not going on a thousand mile trip. They're going to stay with the gap at home in case they get in Japan again. That's the big thing we're seeing this year trend-wise, that people are going to camp. They're just not going to go on these epic journeys. And that's in general, right? This was a on epic journey, but not in the volume. You're breaking up a little bit. I don't know if it's just your mic is a little bit low. You're fine there for a second. But... Okay. Can you hear me now? That's better. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know what you, what, cut out there. But overall, this is going to be an interesting year. It's going to be a dynamic year. My biggest worry in making any sort of prediction over the next 12 months, I didn't even go into 24 because who knows? The next 12 months is who knows what's going to happen, right? I think we're all just preparing for whatever the next crisis is and how does that affect travel. Last year, we had high fuel prices. This year, who knows, right? So as long as we don't have any major crises, it's going to be a good year for the camping industry. And we obviously have a lot of interest. And the thing I walked away from, and I want to bounce this off Mike to see if he agrees, is when you look at commercial real estate, like I, I obviously follow, it's not obvious, I follow commercial real estate on like office space and apartment buildings and stuff like that. And I watch their trends and even Airbnbs and all of those verticals are seeing significant challenges to returns on investment and so forth. But when you look at our category of commercial real estate, not necessarily, although the key difference being is that you can't just buy this like a storage facility, put up some cameras and run it. These businesses actually require operations and marketing. And so that little piece there is what makes our industry both dynamic, challenging, and something that's just not turnkey. And so my other kind of prediction in there is that we had a lot of corporate buyers jump in, hey, they know better than everybody else, and they're running these parks, and all of a sudden those numbers are changing on them. So it'll be interesting to see what those entities do. Do they get professionals to operate their parks, or do they liquidate their holdings? There's been some of those that have happened already, and if they choose that ladder, liquidating their holdings, how does it affect the value of the other parks in the area and so forth? Yeah, and I think so much of who we're talking to are new investors into the space. And to your point, Mark, it is multifamily residential hospitality groups. 
that are coming in and most of them that I'm talking to know they don't know what they don't know that they know that they don't know. And they're talking to professional management company like CRR Hospitality or connecting them with feasibility consultants and marketing groups. And because they understand it's a completely different vertical than commercial or multifamily or whatnot, I think the interest environment and the capital environment changed considerably. So that will slow down some of it. And I think it'll also, we'll also see, I think, some transaction volume just based on there was so much buying and building over the last two years. And who knows what happens with people's debts or loans and oops, I ran out of money or didn't open on time. And now I got to figure out what I'm going to do. So we'll see how that all plays out. But yes, yeah, CR Hospitality, we're getting most of our calls are from the new investors into the space who are exactly the people you just spoke about, Mark. They've had a lot of success in commercial or whatever vertical they're in and they want to put their money into a stable IRA. What we're having to do is train them, I think, or educate. A lot of the numbers that they're looking at are from not necessarily transient parks, which is what they're looking to build. The numbers they're looking at are from long-term ELS on publicly traded companies, which are 50-year parks that people in 98% occupancy, which are not transient parks. So it's a very different model, different IRRs, different operating, different delivery, different management. And so that's some of the gap, I think, that we're clearly seeing is what they're investing and thinking it is and what they want to do is different than what they think they're investing in. That's what we're seeing. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of the same thing, Mike. I have people call me. I've had two recently that were coming from the commercial real estate property where they've been building strip malls and you build one strip mall, you've built, they're all very similar. And so they're going and collecting information that they can find themselves on parks, like how many licenses have been pulled and who's building them and all of that. And they take that and they assume that every park is a cookie cutter. And then they start making plans based off of those numbers, or they decide not to build in a location because somebody else is already building. And then they find out, well, this is a 55 plus park. It would have never impacted them or vice versa. So I'm seeing a lot of that happen still. Is there, Scott, data that is available to help guide these new entrants into the market? There will be pretty soon, but one of the things that we've been, some of this stuff we've been tracking on a monthly basis through the, our monthly research, looking at participation, we've been kind of looking at the look forward a little bit as well to hit upon Mark's point from earlier. One of the things we know, and I've done this just looking into the data from other resources, is that in election years and times of major disruption, we know that camping increases. It does. And we would anticipate that in this election year, it'll be very contentious, really stressful for a lot of people. I talk about stress a lot. Anyone who talks to me know I always talk about this. Even if it's low level, people want to relieve that stress a little bit. They get outdoors. Past research by some hotel groups, I think Mike, we've talked about this maybe before too, that sometimes luxury travel suffers a little bit in these years, but I also feel like we've had had it pretty good in the luxury travel sector with glamping and that in-between phase. We've brought in so many of those new people. I feel like we might buck that trend a little bit this year, but I'm, I would say I'm cautiously optimistic about this coming year. I feel, and I think Mark, you may have said, again, alluded to this a little bit too, that what we're going to see is that if you pulled out 2020 
through 2022 and look at the trend lines. It's a fairly steady trend line. The growth is right where you would expect it to be had that not occurred. And I think that's what we've, like I said, we've seen it in our monthly research. And I, just, I feel like this is where we're heading. It's manageable growth. I think it's going to be solid, but it's just not going to be explosive. And certain sectors will thrive over others. Scott, have you noticed the increase in the number of articles that are out there about BLM land and some of the state and federal parks and how they're looking at completely shutting down camping on the BLM land? And I wonder how that could also impact, if that comes to fruition, what's happening in some of our private parks. It will, it, it will push a lot more people into the private parks. There's no doubt about that. I think that the areas that get closed off. I've heard there's going to be some potential for permitting that you can't just kind of show up. Some of your areas have just been overused. It's, I personally, I just think it's going to eventually change. So it's not just going to be all free that there's going to be some sort of process to access those lands, but it will push those people to other areas, whether it's private parks, private land, those alternatives in it. Yeah. We'll see. There's a lot of people out there utilizing that. We've been tracking that. It, it's increased every year, the usage of both, of both public you know, and private lands. In fact, KOA, there was like an interim report that came out here a couple of weeks ago, and I was looking at that data. And one of the one of the key points that kind of struck me, and I, I think it was that report, but it talked about or pointed out the data of people using alternative camping, I think is what it called yeah. it, or yeah. alternative styles. And just the growth trend there, it actually showed that private RV parks overall as a percentage were down because people were staying at more of these alternatives. And so yep. on our end, we took a long look at Airbnb and Harvest Host because obviously two big names. And, and both names could potentially anger like an RV park owner when they even hear me say them. I argue that Harvest Host, like I can, I just, I got lost. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was me or not. All right, Mark is apparently lost communication with us from his downed plane position. He's sinking into the water. Hopefully we'll be able to get rescue crews to him in time for him to come back. But in the meantime, he was talking about those alternative locations. I can pick up on that just a little bit, that we are seeing a growth in those areas and people seeing those as alternatives, whether it's the harvest host, the hip camp is another listing like Airbnb. And that's, it's picking up a lot of that slack and it's, those are our growth sectors right now and in some areas. You know, for example, living in the Northeast, I live, living in Maine, we don't have the, the BLM land. So it's, but there's a lot of private land. It's very rural. You see a lot of people embracing that opportunity. Right. So this is what I think. I think the growth and actually let me let Mark finish his thought first. Where, where did on. I get cut off at there? You're talking about the Carolina conference and you just came back. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Oh, let me start over the thought then. So we took a long look at Airbnb and Harvest Hosts and what we see is not Airbnb, HipCamp. And that actually was a Freudian slip that's almost accurate with um, HipCamp. HipCamp has done a really good job of attracting and drawing in non-campers into these locations. These are folks that would not normally camp at all, if anywhere. 
And they've done a really good job of building a market around that with these alternative accommodations. Whereas Harvest Host has basically given folks a better better option than a truck stop or a Walmart for an overnight stay. What I like about the Harvest Host model is there's that expectation that you're going to buy a bottle of wine. You're going to buy something from the place that you're staying at. So they're actually putting a monetary value on that free night stay. I'm a resident of Wyoming. And in Wyoming, there's a big fight right now, a BLM management group down in the south central part of the state has an active proposal out right now that they went to public comment and did not accept any public comments, which was weird. And their basic, what they want to do is they want to completely shut down all access by anybody to this Bureau of Land Management lands. And so there's just some overall macro factors that affects that boondocking space. The danger there is that our industry, and I obviously take an argument on this if somebody disagrees with me, but our industry's gateway drug is public parks. People start out camping in national parks, forest service, state parks, and the like. And if access to those is limited or potentially limited in perception, that will affect people's ideas, makeups and thoughts about buying RVs and going camping because a lot of folks, and you can see this on the RV manufacturer side, when they advertise, and we all chuckle at it because we're in the industry, when they advertise the purchase of a fifth wheel, you'll see the photo and it's the fifth wheel in an open prairie next to a creek and the kids are running free. It's public yeah, land. Bean does this in all their commercials. Exactly. And so they're yeah. selling... They sell that concept. Now, I'm not saying that's what how people are going to use it, but when you're selling something, you're setting a perception on how people are going to use it. And so we do see that in the data trends that people gateway into our industry starts at the public parks. They go there. They realize that pit toilets suck and it's smoky. And they're like, man, I wish we had hookups and a Wi-Fi in a nice setting. And then that's where they start setting it, jumping into want, the private I want parks. To you. I think Mike is going to disagree with you in a second. But I just okay. wanted to say, I think there's a different aspect to public parks. I think state parks are not going to be limited. I think it's BLM land. So that's, that's you're right. That's it's exactly, a little bit, but not as exactly what I was going to say is, is BLM is different than public parks. BLM, that's what I did. I had my truck. I offer, I dump in the middle of nowhere and that's what I love. But I also did public parks. And I think, and Scott can obviously weigh in too. If you look at whatever it is, 70% of new campers are under 40 years old, yeah. or the new campers are not. BLM land campers. These are the people that all thought the industry was sexy and wanted something to do and bought the campers. And they're not dropping out in the middle of nowhere. They don't even know how to hook up their rig. They're going to RV parks and resorts and campgrounds. And I don't know about that. Yeah, I'll actually counter that because that's actually the underlying problem on why these lands are being shut down is a lot of the folks during COVID who had never camped before followed a lot of influencers who boondocked. And so they bought these RVs and they headed out to public lands and then they started cutting tree limbs off trees, leaving trash anywhere because they weren't active campers. They didn't know how to treat those lands. So that's actually the core problem with a lot of these free places to camp. It'd be interesting yeah. to see if Scott can get that on that because it'd be just, I don't know. And yeah. we're all, the new there's actually, I'm sorry, I don't mean, there's a data point on it. Shasta National Forest during COVID, during the COVID period, they were the first to actively shut down all dispersed camping within the Forest Service lands in, around Shasta Lake and then that Shasta National Forest, specifically because of all these campers that have, were coming in and using those dispersed lands. Okay, so Mark is blaming influencers. Scott, what's the data? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to blame anyone. I, I might a little bit. I might throw a couple bombs out there. No, what happened is... There, there were just so many newbies out there. It was opportunity. That it was glamorized. They don't know what they're doing. They go out there. And I've spoken to the public lands people 
and they say that they've it's such a problem it is such a problem the trashing of the areas is just drive through the southwest when i was out in utah at a conference i went i always talked to the rangers and the people who manage the lands so they're like these areas we are literally just having to close them off because even w- without permission from above because they're like we can't see that this happening i feel like the industry overall is starting to do a better job on educating a little bit there's a lot more of especially the aftermarket in providing the gear and the the amenities for people to do it the right way it's still a big problem one of the things that we know is that the people who started during the COVID years we'll call them now those people lacked knowledge that it's still obvious with that group we've because we've been tracking them and we have some measurements when we ask people their ability to perform certain tasks basic tasks even not even setting up the rv but like building a fire and being able to prepare a meal or whatever and the people who started during covid are the worst at it far far and away even though the people who just started in the last year it's it's so it's a real thing because so many people went out there they left the lots in their rvs and had no idea what they were doing i'm sure the people at on the ground at the campgrounds could tell a million stories there's there's a difference between the people who needed to escape covid and went to the middle of nowhere and the people who wanted to take up the camping lifestyle i think because i think you can see it both in the boondocking as well as the campgrounds that's why the whole industry exploded right and so uh, we're pontificating and speculating this would be i'd love this topic for research i'd love to see more specific data points on these 70 percent of people what are they doing where are they going we are coincidentally Scott and I are looking for a fifty thousand dollar sponsor from CRR Hospitality to do that research. If you yeah. <laughs> well, research probably won't get done then. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to going to Mike and Scott is that I believe that during the COVID years it's because the motivation was to get out and get away from being trapped. It wasn't to go camping. It was to escape. Where traditionally people start watching people camp or doing something. And so their motivation is I'd like to try out camping and they've either seen the commercial or talked to somebody who's already camping and they have a way in. But I do believe too, that the answer to all of this is education. And I think finding all the different technology people that are working in this industry and getting us to agree on certain core pieces is the beginning, because I think we need to settle on the definitions of campgrounds, right? Is it a campground? Is it an RV resort? Is it an RV park? We use such different terminology. It was all used however you wanted to use it when a lot of the parks were built. So they're not going to change their name. So how do we facilitate helping to identify the type of a park? Um, KOA kind of started out doing a great job. And I love what Toby did when she divided her parks into three types. And she called them the journey and the holiday. That kind of explains what you can expect when you get to those parks. But the still that whole new group of campers, to them, a campground is a campground. And so when they drive into one, which is really not a resort and it's not even a campground, it's a place for you to stop overnight and it's just a big parking lot. Their expectation is not what they think and not what it should be. And so they think all parks might be like this. So that's a 
a passion of mine is to try and help find ways to educate through the technology and the things that we already have the campus that are camping. You know yeah, how I like play devil's advocate when you say anything, right, Sandy? Just because I like it. I love it, Brian. That's why I'm here. Shit once in a while. Can I say shit? This isn't broadcast. <laughs> so I have a thing, right? So for one, I don't, I think this, it was predating Toby as CEO which is fine. Like Toby's oh, really? okay. a great hand in it with marketing and all that stuff. So I'm not discounting Toby's involvement, but just to say that. And then two, I think the model from what I heard originally was built off of best Western's model is what I heard, which best Western did a pretty decent job with, but I'm still not sold on the fat decent with what they wanted to accomplish their goals with not right. decent, maybe overall, but I, and maybe Mike, you want to shed some light on that. You come from the hotel background, but I think, I don't know that the definition is the thing. I think still, like if you if there's people who go to Best Westerns, they're just checking into a hotel. I don't know that they pay that much attention other than the higher end resorts. Yeah, Best Western had tried to do that, but look where Best Western is in the pecking order of hotel chains. It was confusing for the customer, and Marriott was really the first to to understand how to separate their brands so people could understand and there's still confusion and there will always be confusion right what's it between a full service hotel and a select service hotel right mm -hmm. you get a courtyard hotel that has a restaurant called the bistro where town place suites maybe you get free breakfast and mary you get full service restaurant oh i thought i got breakfast included all the hotels still have that same confusion too except for experienced travelers if you're first time so yes andy i think it is education but there's going to continue to be some confusion for the casual traveler Brian, I just went on Bard just for fun while we were talking because you keep telling me to enhance my, my It's not AI. even going to be Bard anymore. It's going to be renamed Gemini. So anyway. It is. And I asked what the difference between a campground, an RV park, an RV resort, and a glamping property were. And so no, it gave a pretty good answer. According to Bard, the options, the differences lie in the level of amenities, comfort, and price, which I think is how everybody would define it, right? A campground focus offers a basic outdoor experience and catering to both tent campers and RVs, and it goes through some amenities sites, blah, blah, blah. RV Park is focused geared towards RVs, offering more hookups, sewer cable, Wi-Fi, amenities more than campgrounds, often include playgrounds, some other amenities. Resort focuses, offers a luxurious, luxurious resort-style experience for RVs, no, no tents, and glamping combines luxury with camping and unique accommodations like free. That's pretty... It's a yeah. pretty good way to define it. And I think part of what Sandy yeah. is saying is that the problem is with the owners mislabeling their own parks. Yes. And, and that's maybe a smaller segment than we, and I think they quickly get it, right? I think the message of the consumer quickly teaches them a lesson that they've mislabeled their park in most cases. Yeah, that's absolutely. But I also think there's two more categories that we need to add to that, which are the most critical when it comes to both the consumer as well as analysis that we may want to do, because I think that 55 plus parks belong in their own category. And then I also think that long-term stay parks, which I call neighborhoods when I'm being nice, if you are living there, and your wheels haven't turned for 10 years, you are not a campground. You are not even an RV park. You are a mobile home park. And if you suddenly you find a trailer out- trailer park. Like again, trailer park is not a bad word, except in the United No, States. it's not. And that's why I said mobile home park, because yeah. RVs are mobile homes. That's true. But these, if you look at all of the sites that are licensed as an RV park in the United States, it includes all of those types. 
So then if you start trying to do the analysis of do we have enough sites to campers, you're doing a, the results aren't correct because you've got to remove those parks that are long term stay and those parks that are 55 plus because they're so restrictive. And then just try and look at it to compare it that way. And that was one of the biggest problems I think we had during COVID was we had a lot of new people camping. We had a lot of parks that weren't representing themselves well. We also made it very difficult to find a lot of parks digitally. And that was, they were very, the COVID campers were very digital savvy. And we had some parks who suddenly had two sites available in a long-term stay park and realized people were getting a hundred bucks a night. So they now put them up and said, hey, come stay with us, we're a campground. And so we had these new people pulled into these long-term stay parks that were really neighborhoods. They were not campers. It was not the experience they looked for. And so they said, I don't know why I did this. So then they went and trashed BLM land. <laughs> yeah. The challenge with setting categories though, and this was the, ex the experience of the National Association when they did this, is that those words mean something, right? A mobile home park means something when it comes yeah, to let's, local. Let's local talk about that briefly, Mark. I'm going to disconnect. Okay. He didn't get to that. Yeah. The Ohio thing in the report. Anyway, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I guess I missed it. No, when you talk about a mobile home park, there's a specific def definition under yeah. law in many states or a yeah. 55 plus community in, in states like Florida and Arizona, mm -hmm. specific meaning in law. And so you're never going to, I understand from a, from an aggregating standpoint and a search engine standpoint, it's one thing, but on like the ground level, making parks define themselves more clearly. Oh, no. I, I gave well, up. I, I don't know that it's that big of a deal. Ago. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, what's the difference between a hotel, a motel, and a resort? There's adult-only resorts. There's long-term hotels like a residence inn where people are staying there for four years. There's, I just don't know that it's that yeah. impactful for what difference is it going to make if somebody searches? It just costs me more money in search. I have to put RV parks or RV campgrounds yeah. or, or resorts. What we, what we know from general consumer search, and this is generalities, right? This isn't specifics. We're talking in generalities. Somebody has an idea of where they want to go, so they start their search there. I'm looking for an RV park near Yellowstone or whatnot. And then they start filtering through those results. Primarily, the first decision criteria is price. Is this in my price zone or not? And if it is, then they dive into the amenities, the features, and then they go into the booking process. That's the general flow of somebody booking a campsite or trying to find a campsite. The biggest trend on the BLM sides and the dispersed camping is there's actually, and Sandy, you and I both know this because we've interacted with this community within escapees and FMCA. There's a large number of folks that are full-time RVers where saving 10 bucks a night or even not paying for a campsite at all means thousands of dollars in the end of the year in their pocket because they're getting a free campsite. And I'm not saying that's negative or positive. I'm just saying it is what it is. And so with the number of people that came in into the industry under COVID, it, this is just an umbrella. We had so many millions more campers that it affected everybody. It affected the RV resorts, the BLM lands and everything else. And so when we look at post-COVID, the big trend we took away, and I think it's amazing for our industry, is overall, these COVID campers, they're here to stay. They're not selling their RVs. They're not leaving, at least not yet. And right. so that's a testament to the industry that we've got this growth. And now it's just a matter of how do we manage that going forward and continue growing it and so forth. Hey, yeah. That's Scott, you've been quiet. Oh. <clears throat> the, the COVID campers will be, it is a group we've been tracking. We feel that there's potential, there was potential for drop-off, but they'll, even those who 
you know, one of the things we track is people change on their travel habits a little bit. A lot of people had the desire to travel how they did prior to COVID. Once they come back, we will be, again, we'll be in that, that managed growth phase again. They'll come back. They, It's rare, I feel, that if someone takes a year off that they don't come back and try it again, especially if they have skin in the game, like buying an RV. Yeah, that's obviously major skin in the game. But even we also know that just buying basic camping gear, whether tents and sleeping bags, gets people back. And most people do that. So it's, yeah, they'll be back. I feel like everybody will be back. Yeah, the whole growth story is really interesting to me, too. Like, obviously, everything that you guys are saying, I think, is true. And I agree with that growth is going to slow down from what it was over the last few years. But I also think case by case, there are literally thousands of parks that still have an opportunity to grow 300, 400, 500 X by even like doing an SEO content out of their homepage, which takes five minutes. And, they, and so I think it's, and again, it's area specific with BLM land, but it's marketing. It's, and I, and I think a lot of these people don't even see that, which is why I think that even if the demand for camping dips a little bit, the people who are at least posting on Facebook are going to be fine. One of the things to keep in mind too, or even if people are out there boondocking and looking at the dispersed areas and so on, at some point in their travels, they want to hook up. Yeah. They need the hookups at some point and they do seek oh. those out. For a second, yeah. I thought you were like, you're going to do a Tinder site for campers or something like After that. After I said that, I was like, I wanted to keep moving <laughs> with my <laughs> my sentence because like, yeah, that, that didn't sound good. But yeah, they are looking for places to hook their RV up to. So, especially if they've been out, in regardless of how long it's been, they do. So it's again, it's that opportunity that people are still going to go to the private parks. They're still, they still need that. And by the way, there is still a solid core of people out there who the only place they will stay is if at a campground or RV park. That has a lot of services and amenities. It's their chosen way, and that's, there's a lot of them. That's us. We did that. We only boondocked once when we were full time for 12 years. We always stay in campgrounds and RV parks because we want the amenities. We want to plug in. We want the Wi-Fi. We want the pool. We want all that stuff. And what ties into that is I'm currently here at Myrtle Beach. I'm staying at the Myrtle Beach Travel Park. And when we were heading here, because I was here four years ago in my RV or five years ago in my RV, Myrtle Beach was not a well-known location for winter camping. So we would have the park to ourselves, And so we came in expecting we'd have this to ourselves. And if I were to turn my camera around, you would see that this park is probably 85% full right now with winter campers, mostly the primarily full-time RVers who have moved out of Florida into this area because of prices and demand for parks in Florida. And that, that to me says a lot, which number one, next I'm going down to Joanne's show in Orlando. I'm going to have a challenge finding a site as I go down that way. It also shows you the overall growth of our industry. The fact that there are so many people that just to get sites, they're now moving up into the Northern States during the wintertime. Yeah. Hey, Mark, if you're going to be in Central Florida, I have a work Okay. Is there data on how many people just wanted to leave Florida? Because it was maybe a little <laughs> weird. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not saying that Florida's weird. I'm just asking if there's data, to be clear. There's no data. There's anecdotal. And it's mostly price. Again, like I said, people look for location and then price primarily in general. Yeah, and Florida's oversaturated and Florida's price has been driven up and all that. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right, let's, Scott, let's flip to reports for a second. I know we said in the beginning I was going to talk a little bit about the reviews, but I think maybe we should just preview a little bit what's going to come out 
hopefully tomorrow if I can hold up my end of the bargain. Do you want to talk a little bit about what, what you got going on? Don't give away too many secrets, but I won't, but we'll have to a little bit anyway, just to keep it That's interesting. Okay. Nobody watches the show anyway, it's fine. The whole idea of the next iteration is events, celebrations and such at uh, at campgrounds and RV parks and resorts. I'll use all three terms to try to capture everyone. But the whole idea is, we the question we ask is, are people, how many people are doing this? Is the guests seek these out? And is it worth the time and effort and cost to host special events and promotions at your campground? And so th that was the, the genesis of this report. And we went out, we talked to a lot of campground owners. We did a lot of interviews. We looked at guest data too. We've tapped into a couple different resources on this and we're kind of looking at participation. And it's really interesting to see. I'm always, I, I love the fact that the park owners and managers get creative with their events and do different things. And I would say overall, just to cut to the end of it, in general, the reception to our, this idea is that yes, it's a good idea. It's worthwhile. And we give a lot of the detail in there of kind of how to approach it, the pros, the cons of considering it and what type, but it, it's, it, I think it's a great topic to think about. It helps campgrounds and parks promote themselves. It helps engage people and kind of looking, there's things like community partnering and all, there's a lot to it and a lot to consider. And that's what we did with this report. And I think as people go through it and digest some of this, they can they'll see some ideas and get creative. I, again, I like the creative ideas. I like when people create events around what they have in their area. For example, here in, in Maine, people do things like fishing derbies. If they're on a lake, people come there and it's just a fun thing to do, or they'll do other sorts of canoe and kayak races and, and just stuff with the kids on site to keep people active so they're not bored. You know, boredom is a killer. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a great topic and we got into the weeds on it as we always do. When does that come out, Scott? I think hopefully, Brian said tomorrow. Hopefully, hopefully tomorrow, yeah. It's just waiting on me to do some polishes and some of the blog posts. Why don't you reach out to us? We'll be giving you great feedback. We have that's key to our success is that exact topic. Events and we're trying to, what we're trying to do in the future is we're trying to put together a kind of a list of parks that we can have as a data set to not always go to but to have in our library. Obviously we've talked to a lot of great parks, I think, as part of this, but there's a I think there's a need, Scott, to have different types of data set or a larger data set where we can pick and choose from in the future. But yes, Mike, you would be a great resource, and I'll be really interested to hear your thoughts on this. Thank you. Thank you. I'm I, I apologize. We, I, we should have, I should have reached out. I'm super interested. I'm like, my gosh, this is like right up our wheelhouse. I, was, I didn't mean to come across as taking offense. I was surprised to hear that that's a topic that I love. We're passionate about it. It's awesome. That's, uh, it's interesting you say that, Mike, because that's what we found on our end was that when we talk to people, they're in, they would talk all day about this topic. Some folks would, and there's a lot of enthusiasm around it. It gives, yeah, there's a lot to it. And, and it, it seems to be a lot of fun for people too. Oh, T Tyler Watts did a whole session on his campground at one small campground of the year, Broad River in North Carolina there. And he started out with 16 sites and a couple of glamping options. And just what he's done there is all based on activities and programming and marketing. And they have 11,000 followers on their page and they're a smaller campground they've done them and it's really all driven by 
their activities. If you look at their Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, it, it is exactly what you're describing. And this this, I think this is proving out what we've been talking about for several months about the rise of experiential camping and people talking about 2024 is going to be the year of experiential camping. This all plays right into that. Yeah, Marcia with Riverwalk in Yadkin, she uses events. And the thing about events, and I'm sure your report's going to show it, is it's, and Brian knows this inherently as a marketer, having something to talk about when you're promoting a location is incredibly valuable. Because now you're not just talking about go camping, you're talking about go camping because we're going to have food trucks and a band. You're able to actually start a communication that's interesting and dynamic and something other folks want to share. So I'm looking forward to that. That's great data. I love that you're doing this, Brian, too. You and Scott, it's, this is good stuff. The more data that we have in aggregate for this industry, it's just going to help folks operate better. And that was how I closed off that presentation with Carolinas. And this is this kind of alludes a little bit to what Sandy was saying earlier. Our industry can only be as good as all parks, right? Because campers stay everywhere. They don't just stay at a nice park, but they stay at maybe the crappy park along the way there too, right? Or inadvertently at a crappy park. If we can raise the boat on operations across the board, our industry is just going to thrive. Like I would, ra I would much rather personally, I would much rather RV somewhere over a week like I have here versus go through all the hassle of flying and renting a car and staying in a hotel. And I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of people that would be willing to do that. It's just not a simple thing to do yet unless you're gung-ho like me and don't mind camping in Nebraska in four feet of snow. There's stuff that needs to happen in order to make that happen, but I love that you're doing this data, so kudos to you. Kudos to Scott. He's doing the data. I'm just the one who's delaying the report because I have to make it fancy and pretty. <laughs> so. Yep. The genesis of the, the report that we do each year, the big one for, for KOA, um, was what you were talking about, Mark, was the um, the KOA team. At the time, Jim Rogers was the CEO, and that's how he felt. He came from the hospitality industry. It's like, like we're all in this together. And that's what Brian and I have, have been building on as well. We're all in this together. It's let's expand it. Let's do topics. And by the way, my point of view is I love to explore topics that no one else is really looking at because it's the first rule of research is don't do what someone else has already done. And it's, yeah, if you do remember, if you ever had to do a research project, what's the first thing they had you do is go look up all the sources and see what other people have done. And that's how I feel like we're getting closer with that. There's a lot of overlap, obviously, but within the industry, it's like we're building on that base of information. And I feel like the industry is getting better. I truly do. Um, I know there's still always a lot of work to do, but it feels like with this access to information, providing some of these resources and, you know, we're, yeah, and yes, we're all a part of it. It's, it's making us all better at what we do. It makes me better at what I do. I know that. So well, that's and I can only go up from where I'm at. So <laughs> not really, you're far North already you get any higher. You'll be up at the Northern circle there. Right. No, that's true. Oh, you're, you're talking. So what else we got to talk about? We got about 14 minutes left. Who wants to spearhead a discussion on something fun? Something fun. We've covered a lot of fun. It's camping in the outdoors. I think the, I, I talk a lot about trends because I like to, that's how I think broader and where things are going. And I, it's just been exciting for me to be back out on the road personally and to get into the camping a little bit. And to, to Scott, you know, that I didn't hear that data point before, Scott, about how the COVID campers are still 
not there yet. And it would be true, right? And I guess you see it in the campgrounds. You can tell who got into this industry mm -hmm. when, based upon mm -hmm. usually how many dents their RV has in it right now, <laughs> or whether their truck's smashed up or not. But it's interesting because camping is... Camping harkens back to a time before whether that existed or not. So it goes back in time. And my son right now is reading Shelby Foote's Civil War Trilogy. If you haven't read it, highly recommend reading it. It's actually the base for, the, for that documentary, The Civil War. What I love about it is when you look at history, you look at the time that was occurring during the Civil War. And we just were listening to a section on it. It's two years into the war, and the author is describing um, the current state of both the political and economic environment of the Union. And if you didn't know you were listening to a Civil War book, you would have closed your eyes and thought they were talking about now. The inflation's out of control, just people are doing well financially. It's just, it's history repeats itself, whether it's not the same, it rhymes, all that type of stuff. And it's just interesting when you take a look at where we're at as a macro factor. And then when you think about our industry as a whole, is this is relatively new. The whole concept of being able to travel. I'm sitting in a campground live on a video being broadcast with a lake behind me and a freaking bird just walked by here in front of me. You weren't doing this 10 years ago. Think about how much, how different things are now. And what do they look like 10 years from now when Brian controls all the AI and is controlling everything we do? We're in dynamic times right now. So it's both exciting, interesting, and also a little bit scary at times too. Yeah, but I think it's interesting, right? Because that's going to enable us to talk about AI and tech. That's going to enable us to excites me about that's one of the benefits too, I think, of being in this industry is it's going to get people more outside better. Brian, as a marketer, are you seeing any hints of an adoption rate with campgrounds for AI? Are you starting to get hope that they're understanding what it is and losing fear and starting to embrace? Some, like we've, we've got several dozen, well, close to 50, I think, parks using or in process of using the AI, but it's going to be slow. Like I was watching, I think I said this on the show, uh, last week, maybe I can't remember when I watched it. Now we lost Brian. But I was, you lost me. I'm here. I can hear it. Okay. I can hear him. All right. So I was watching a video by Gary Vaynerchuk because I'll turn him on once in a oh, while. I love Gary. And he was talking to, I can't remember some guy who's been, I don't know who the guy was, but anyway, they're having a conversation about slow adoption of tech overall. And so AI was part of that. NFTs and blockchains, they were talking about heavily and just how it takes people a long time to get into some of this stuff. And again, I think AI is different. We've had that conversation before. You're not, you're going to be forced to be drug along here, but even still, like they were talking about an anecdote of history, which fascinates me sometimes too. They were talking about when electricity first came out, the early adopters of electricity were very small and finite. I think they were talking about JP Morgan had a generator in his backyard, pulled out a bunch of black smoke everywhere. But for the first 10 years of electricity being in existence, people thought it was inviting demons into their home and they wouldn't touch it. Like even electricity took 10 years to start becoming mainstream. So when you put it in a context like that, like I think it's going to move slower, but I also think, again, it's just going to be drug faster and faster, right? From both economic conditions as well as other parks adopting it, as well as there's a need for like margins and adjustment and, like we're talking to clients this year, right? About how do I, that growth, right? We're all go back, it all circles back to that growth. So you can get growth if more people are camping or if you're finding inefficiencies in your marketing to drive that growth or if BLM land shuts down and those campers come into your park or whatever else, right? 
but you can also find growth through efficiency, which is part AI and automation. And that's something a lot of people haven't even begun to touch yet. Yeah. And that's where I get excited. And I always caveat this by saying, if you can find a partner who is using AI credibly, they're not just openly trusting everything it it says, they know how to manage and measure it. Then I think now when more parks are looking to start marketing again, because they didn't market for a while, they didn't need to, then learning to incorporate some of that can take their marketing dollars further. And so I'm hoping that we see some adoption this year. It's interesting though, like I wouldn't even put our chatbot into the marketing category. I would put it into customer service operations. Agree. Uh, I think it can go multiple places. And I think one of the things that we've we've been talking to our business development team, and I don't know how widespread this is. I think I told Mark, sent you a screenshot, Mark, in, in Facebook the other day. But like we've, one of the hesitancies, I think, with AI is we don't know what it's going to say. We can't control it. What if a guest doesn't get the answer that we want them to have and we might lose them or whatever else? And so one of the new features, we have built a custom dashboard where people can see all their chats in real time. But one of the new features we have is the ability for if you want to, you can watch that chat in real time. And you can click a button that says, I want to take over this conversation and you can chat with them from a dashboard in real time. And then you can send it back to AI when you're done. And I think that eliminates a lot of that objection, right? If you're really concerned about that AI, you don't need to, but you can sit there and watch it. And if you feel like it's not doing a good job, just jump in and chat yourself. Yeah. What's interesting about AI, especially chat GPT, I think that's one of those, it's almost like the AOL moment where they basically made it easy. They made it easy where you have a prompt you can type in. I use it all the time. Like I use it all the time. I use it every day. And I even mess with it when I feel like it. And say it gives me a really bad response. I'll respond like, what the, I'll I'll swear it. Like, what the hell is that response? That's that's not what I asked for. Why don't you fix it? And it's okay, I'm sorry. And it spits out another response. Think about the conversation I just had with a machine. That's different. And that's a different experience. And you're not a big leap from there to where that prompt I gave it is voice, right? And Mm -hmm. instead of me typing and just all the other stuff that comes out of it. So Brian does share with me what he's working on with that chat tool. And it's just amazing. And we go back and forth because obviously being a tech company also with the virtual tours is how can that integrate and what's that experience? Going to what you're talking about, Sandy, the biggest hurdle, and you and I are very intimately aware of this, the biggest hurdle for campers is information or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. What am I getting into? And so right. on our end, our end, we use the visual to cover that, right? Let's take you down there and show you. But that's that can be time consuming and involved. So how do we make that even more seamless to where you can start putting in criteria of what you're looking for? We can filter those visuals and bring it up, right? So that's obviously long-term stuff. But the other thing is focus. There are not a lot of tech folks focusing on our industry. They focus in other broader industries where they can potentially make more money or whatnot. You have to have a passion for this to be focused on this. And so then you just have to look at it and say, I'm going to just put my head down and make it happen. Yep. Yeah, I'm interested where this all is to where it goes. But I think it's just going to come at such a lightning speed that people are going to be shocked by it. And it already is in the background, but it's not quite forced its way. Like voice is the big thing in the change in search. That's the big thing for me. Like I posted about this on LinkedIn the other day. Google Maps has released this to their local guides, which is not a small segment of people. If you're a local guide, it's not everybody, but it's enough people that it's almost ready to go to where you can use your voice to search on an AI LLM to search on Google Maps. Wow. And it will, so I think the example they gave was searching for a vintage, like a vintage experience in San Francisco. And it would come back and give three answers about a clothing store and an antique store and something else. And my thing is, 
are you preparing for AI SEO? Because we are, like, we're building all, we're ready for this stuff. And we're building the future for where the campgrounds is the answer to the question of, here's a vintage experience near San Francisco. This place has vintage trailers where you can go stay in and they rent them out. And you can have, I want to be the answer to that question. Don't you? Right. So like we're doing this for properties already where we've written Mike's one river sands is one of them where we're writing and creating so much content because we want to be the answer to all the questions that are asked of AI, because there's not going to be a one to 10 list and everybody is just, everybody has these, and it's not campground owners, but these blinders on that Google's always going to be here. If Google stops driving traffic to you and you don't have a plan for that, you're in deep shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because that's actually one of the way I built my business is running is I ran a digital agency. We ran Google ads for parks and so forth. And now when parks come to me, they're like, what should I do? Run some Google ads, but then I'll I'll qualify it with that still works. And it's that still works now, but there's going to be a massive change. And I just don't know when that's going to happen. It could be in a month. It could be in two months. It could be six months. But even Google knows that their search is basically dead or it changes, right? So what Brian's describing is it changes because they have the metadata and the search changes. So instead of it being a generic search, go look, it's a generic search with quality responses that are more informed and more engaging. And potentially if it gets trusted, and I don't, I think I'm saying what you're saying, Brian, but if it's the point where I trust that kind of like the Star Trek computer, Hey computer, where's the, where do I go? If I trust that it's t- sending me the right spot, then I don't even need to research it. Hey, I want the best meal to, with a discount tonight. Okay. Go to, go down the street to Bobby's and they've got a deal running right now. You'll love their food order, order the chicken sandwich. Cause that's your favorite, right? So if we get to that point, search is dead because now it's very, or it's different. It's not dead. It's different. Yeah. Does any, does anybody have to immediately leave? We can explore something cool if you want to stay here. Yeah. So have you guys seen this? This is perplexity.ai. This is the future of search, right? So let's use an example. What? Tell me about the history of life, California, and blog articles. I have no idea if this is going to work. Clear. Look at the top. See the top two results? I don't know if you can read that or it's too small. Yeah, I can't read it on my screen. I don't know if I can make it bigger. But anyway, let's see. Zoom, zoom, zoom. That work? Yes. So see the top two results up there? Yep. It has absolutely nothing to do with camping. But we've weaved River Sands into there, and we want to be the answer to as many questions as possible. But this is the future of search you're looking at right here, right? This is a find me a campground near a highway around Phoenix for kids. And with pavement. With pavement. With pavement. Like, I don't know how good this is yet, right? But this is uh, Jeff Bezos invested in this company. And they've got millions of users already. And so here's the answer, right? Like Phoenix Event Center, apparently. Has a 14 day limit, six month camping. It's not an RV park. Children should be supervised by an adult. So, whatever they're like, but this is a massive opportunity here. Like, you can actually target this AI SEO and make sure that you're one of the answers in here. So, but this is coming. You can see there's no one to 10 here, right? And right. this is going to be voice right. search. This is going to be a car. This is going to be everywhere. And if you're not in this paragraph, 
do you have a plan for that? I don't think parks do. I think parks are still hung up on Facebook is all I need to do for marketing. <laughs> I don't even see like we've got data points. And again, like there's a lot, the activity places are different, but there's very clear data points that the activity on Facebook is declining for small businesses. The amount of people that message the pages has fallen off a cliff asking customer service questions. And it's just not there anymore. People are going to social for entertainment, not business. Entertainment. Yeah. They're on TikTok. They're on Instagram, watch and YouTube. And even Facebook, to some degree, watching the shorts. That's it, Attention spans are down and awareness overall is down. So I completely agree with you. And it's also shifted. The other thing that's shifted is it's not red content. It's visual content. It's video. It's audio. It's voice being dictated to you versus you doing any research. And yeah, actually, that's something I talk heavily about. See you, Sandy. But yeah, we're going to wrap up here anyway. But yeah, it's just, it's data, right? Like you have to present it just like we're doing with the research reports for hospitality highlights. We're presenting it in various different data, a long report, a short report, a summary that's right on the webpage, social media posts, blog articles, or doing an AI video that where she speaks to you. If you want to do that, we'll syndicate it as audio, like whatever, whatever you want to consume it is fine. Yeah. And that's, I think the key, but the, ultimately it's the data. It's providing that data to an AI or whatever it is, right? The search to be able to be that answer. And the amount of people who just, who call me on a daily basis, like it have, and they have a beautiful website, like design wise, but their website designer hasn't touched the SEO. The domain rating is like six and they've been in operation for five years or 10 years. They have 30 backlinks. They show up for eight keywords and it's unbelievable. This is your business right here and you're not paying attention to it for whatever reason lack of knowledge or lack of willingness to spend or whatever it may be, but that's your 300% growth sitting right there. And all you have to do is, is hire someone to spend really God's honest truth, like about an hour on it. I don't know. It's fascinating to me. We could talk for a long time, but any closing thoughts for you guys? That's been a good session. I think there's a lot of gold in here for, folks who are watching in this in the future and by all means chime in the comments whatever channel you're watching this on let brian know what you want to hear and what you want to learn because he's got a good thing going here absolutely I, I would echo that reach out to any of us really and ask questions that's it helps us like i said earlier it helps us get better at what we do and you know, do meaningful stuff and help the industry overall yeah yeah good, <laughs> we're not going to get fifty thousand dollars from mike for a study <laughs> so we're going to have to start a GoFundMe or something. So if you're watching this and you like data, every dollar counts. I'm going to work, Mike. I'm going to start working them. So, all right. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it for another great episode of MC Hosp yeah, Hospitality. I can't even MC Fireside Chats. I'm so old. MC Fireside Chats. We will see you for another episode next week. Thanks, Mike, Mark, Scott, Sandy. That was all who was on today, right? Okay. Yep. See you guys later. All right. Take care for joining us for this episode of MC Fireside Chats with your host, Brian Searle. Have a suggestion for a show idea? Want your campground or company in a future episode? Email us at hello at moderncampground.com. Get your daily dose of news from moderncampground.com. And be sure to join us next week for more insights into the fascinating world of outdoor hospitality.